0: From the first pages of the Bible, we are presented with a God who is the maker of heaven and earth, as the old creed says. He is mighty, powerful, and transcendent, utterly different from the world that he creates. However, beginning in chapter 2 of Genesis, this same God stoops down, picks up some dirt, and forms man from the dust. He carefully crafts him, molding and shaping the mud, and finally breathes into it, giving Adam life. Despite creating Adam with legs for traveling, it's surprising that it is the Lord God who is first described in the Bible as walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This God is so real and present in the garden that the rebellious Adam can actually hide from his presence among the trees. God is shaping, speaking, gardening, and walking around in paradise. God isn't just everywhere, he is there. He is with his people, not as a metaphor or a figure of speech, but really and truly. In fact, it might be possible to say that the entire story of the Bible could be summed up with the phrase, God with his people. This was the reality in the beginning, before the world was broken, and this is the goal to which God is now moving the world to redeem and so re-engage with the sinful world so that mankind and God might live together again in peace and love But we often think of this project of redemption, this being with us, having its absolute beginning with Jesus' birth. However, as we just saw, God is busy being with and coming near to his creation from the very start. And this is exactly what we find in the record of the Old Testament. God appears and shows up in ways that can be seen, felt, touched, and heard. He comes in a wind, a pillar of fire, a cloud, a voice, a storm, and even sometimes as an angel. These appearances or manifestations of the God of Israel often take place at unique moments in in the parts of the story of redemption, times when God is drawing near to his people to save them. A recent example is from Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is called up to Mount Horeb, and he sees and speaks with God in the burning bush. It says this, starting verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he said, "Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground." And he said, "I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Coming, God was coming near to Moses, coming down out of heaven as an angel within a flame of fire in a bush. And this whole experience is not a metaphor. God was in the bush, in the fire, in the angel, because it says Moses was afraid to look at what? God. It was God who was he afraid to look at. When Israel finally comes into the promised land, and God gives David as their king, his son Solomon builds the temple, God's dwelling place on earth. At the dedication of the temple, God comes down to live in his house, We read in 1 Kings chapter 8, A cloud filled the house of the Lord, said that the priest could not minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. Was it a cloud? Was it the glory of the Lord? Exactly. Precisely. God came to live in this house. So Solomon made him a house, and he moved in. He came down from heaven to live with Israel, to be together with them. A reenactment of the memory and the reality of a time in paradise when God mankind walk together in peace. Okay, you say, well and good, okay. I can imagine the transcendent one appearing as a wind, or maybe a pillar of fire, or maybe even an angel, right? These are good, clean, heavenly stuff. But perhaps most striking of all in the Hebrew Bible are those moments when God shows up as a man. In Genesis 18, the maker of heaven and earth pays Abraham a visit to reassure him of the promise he made to him that he would have A son, starting in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servants. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fl- a fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf, and he prepared them and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while They ate. He has a discussion with Sarah, but later on we learn that two of the men who came leave to go to Sodom. But the text tells us, but Abraham still stood before Yahweh. He still stood before the Lord. So two of them go away, one stays, and the one who stays was Yahweh, God. And then in verse 33, after a discussion with Abraham, it says, and Yahweh walked. And Yahweh went his way after this discussion with Abraham. So God appears to Abraham, has his feet washed, rests, eats lunch, speaks, stands, and walks away. God with his people. In the same way, Jacob's famous wrestling match with God at the Jabbok River in Genesis 32 involved wrestling with a man. We read in Genesis 32, A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Yisrael, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God. I have seen Elohim face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. And what did the great prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel see when they were allowed to look in vision upon the heavenly council room itself? They saw a man on a throne. Isaiah says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. And If we're wondering who, who is this man who's sitting on this throne in this heavenly vision of Isaiah, Isaiah goes on to say, to tell us who he's seen. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Ezekiel, when he was in exile on Babylon, on the side of the river Kibar, he saw a vision of the throne chariot of God, of Israel, and here's what he describes. Over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystals spread out above their heads. And under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty a sound of tumult like the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let, their, well, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And when I saw, I fell on my face. The last thing one expects to see in the center of the divine throne is exactly what one does see, a human image. Literally in Hebrew, it says, a likeness like the appearance of Adam. Adam in Hebrew is the word for mankind. So Ezekiel sees the center of the throne, and he sees one sitting there, and he says, I see something like Adam. Many years after Ezekiel sees this great vision, God would bring Israel back from exile in Babylon where he had sent them as a judgment for their sins. They returned to the land of Judah and rebuilt the temple, but there's no indwelling cloud, no peril of fire, no angelic God-like messenger, and no vision. Israel was for a long time under foreign rulers, and God seemed distant. He wasn't drawing near and coming down like he did in the Exodus, in the conquest, or in the temple. Ultimately, about 400 years go by, and it doesn't seem like there's any more word from God, and he hasn't shown up. It felt to Israel, especially under Roman oppression, that God had forgotten them. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he had not forgotten his loving promises to Israel. God still had plans to be with his people.
1: When you hear about a couple, or maybe a parent and a child, or maybe siblings that are not on speaking terms... Do you think that that's a good relationship or not a good relationship? And I've heard of people that haven't spoken for weeks or even years. They're so distant, they're so estranged. There hasn't been a word exchanged between them for years or even decades. And we just heard that there was a situation in which God visited in different ways, in various forms, and he spoke with his people he walked with his people. And then there was apparently silence for something like 400 years. We don't know exactly when the last book of the Old Testament was written, but somewhere around 400 years B.C. And then apparently nothing. And not only nothing, it was almost worse than nothing because the people were getting dominated by superpower after superpower. The Assyrians gave way to the Babylonians who gave way to the Persians who gave way to the Greeks who gave way to the Romans. And they were just dominated time and time again. But this wasn't the first time that happened. There was another period of about 400 years when the people of God were dominated by a foreign power. And it looked like God was absent. It looked like he had forgotten his people. It looked like he was speaking to them no more. And of course, you remember this. We are going through the book of Exodus in our series. 400 years in Egypt. And the people saying, where is this God? Where is this God who made these promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob? He's, he's left us. He's not with us anymore. And then we've read gloriously how he burst onto the scene. And he showed himself to Moses. And he showed up in Egypt. And how did he show up? He showed up by by signs and wonders and powers. By frogs and lightning and plagues of thunder and blood and death and destruction and liberation and if God's going to show up after such a long time of absence such a long time of silence that's how he should show up show up and make himself known throw his weight around and show show just how powerful he is but after this second period of some 400 years, this is how he showed up. The first verse of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He showed up with a human genealogy and with a number of different names and titles, some of which are impressive and some of quite common. Jesus, a common a common Hebrew name. Many boys would have had that name, the same name as Joshua of old. Now, later on, we're going to learn a little more in verse 21 about the meaning of that name. But at the beginning here, it's Jesus, something like John or Bill or Sam or just a common name of the time. He's called the Christ, which is the anointed one. Now we're getting somewhere. He's being connected to the the priests of the Old Testament who were anointed with oil, the kings of the Old Testament who were anointed, and at least in one case, a prophet who was anointed with oil. These three offices of the Old Testament, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of David, from a good line, a line of kings, an heir to the throne, and even farther back, the son of Abraham. There was a promise about the son of Abraham. The seed of Abraham who would come and all the nations would be blessed in him. Maybe maybe this seed of Abraham is somehow connected to that promise. But that's how God's coming is in the New Testament out of, through these 400 years. And then we read, now the birth of Jesus Christ whom we met in verse 1. And then there's this long genealogy connecting him with the, the people of Israel. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. But a sufficient explanation for the birth of this son. He said, this is the Holy Spirit's doing. She was conceived, the the woman conceived, Mary conceived in her womb by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now that's unique, but it's sufficient. God can do that sort of thing. And then he goes on and says, she'll bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus. We already heard that common Hebrew name. But now that common Hebrew name, the etymology of that name is given. It's related to the words for, for Jehovah, for Yahweh and saves. Jesus saves. The Lord saves his people from their sins. Now that should cause us to pause. Save his people from their sins. Even as we read about God's entry here into the world once again after such a long time of apparent absence and silence, there's a, there's a shadow cast over the birth of this one who would be called Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Now, you go back to the very beginning and we, you learn that in the day you eat of this, you will surely, what? Die. And we read that the wages of sin is always what? Death. So if there's sin involved, then there has to be death involved as well. And so even at this time, the cross is casting its shadow back over the cradle of Jesus' birth. Matthew then gave an editorial comment, and he does this. Matthew wanted us to understand the connection between what God was doing in Jesus and all the Old Testament scriptures, and you will find all through Matthew, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and then he quotes. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And that's remarkable in and of itself, but we just got the divine explanation for that. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then there's a twist here, another name. We've already heard Jesus. We've heard the title Christ. We've heard that he's the son of David. We've heard he's the son of Abraham. And now they shall call his name Emmanuel and then once again Matthew in case we didn't get it parenthetically he fills it in and he says this is what this means folks this means that God is with us God is with us that's what Emmanuel means so Jesus the Christ the son of David the son of Abraham is also Emmanuel he is God with us after all those various ways the cloud the fire the voice The thunder, the lightning, the angel, the human-like persons that appeared throughout the Old Testament. They were temporary. They were manifestations. And now we have finally, finally, God with us in the most permanent form possible. As one of us. As a human. As a human who has a genealogy. Not a human that's disconnected from the rest of us, but a human that's part of the human race, so much a part of the human race that there is a genealogy here with all of these names. I I, I skipped over this part. It's hard for us to read. We don't know how to pronounce these names, but these are other humans. They're all part of Adam. They're all part of humanity, and this one is part of humanity. He is one of us with a genealogy, extraordinary genealogy, but a, a genealogy like any human being has. So after all these various ways and at various times, God comes and he comes as a human. Now there's much more to say about the presence of God with his people in the New Testament. We will find later that God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We will find that God will be permanently with us in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no temple. There will be no locality for God because God himself will fill all things and he will be the temple. There are many more things we could say, but all of the things we could say about God with us in the New Testament go back to this and are dependent on this entry into the world, this becoming one of us so that he could save his people from their sins. And how does he save his people from their sins? By living as a man as Adam but not like Adam where Adam failed this new Adam he's obedient to the law of God and then like Adam he dies but not for his own sins but for the sins of his people but he doesn't succumb to death permanently he, he's risen from the dead as a human and he, he does what the man did with Abraham he, he eats after his resurrection, just like one of us. He rises from the dead and he ascends and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, where he intercedes for us. And one day he will come and he will be with us And the new heavens and the new earth where all of the bad things that we experience here, there'll be no more because God will be with us forever. Now, um, this was after such a long period of apparent absence. But instead of bursting on the scene, striking down the Romans as he did the Egyptians, he was born as a human, a baby, who eventually would be struck down by the Romans so that he might save his people from their sins. And now, after such a long period of silence and absence, now God bursts onto the scene as Emmanuel, never to be absent, never to be silent from his people again. Let's pray. Our God, we praise you for Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the son of David, who is the son of Abraham, who is God with us now and forevermore. Amen.